Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Said we're moving through this series on Advent and focusing on these four things that Isaiah says about Jesus. And um, a comment that I want to make just up front is that it's kind of what Advent is about. Advent is uh, Advent's about remembrance, and it's about looking ahead, right? Uh, but that's not all that it's about, and that's, that's really what I want to dig into this morning. It's not just about baby Jesus, okay? And it's not just about future Jesus, but it's also about Jesus at present, right? Jesus said these really interesting things about how the kingdom is in your midst. And it's, it's kind of like here among you, but then it's not yet fully here, right? So it's like here and not yet. And that's really what we experience. And so this is a time of, uh, of remembering, and it's a time of, of expectation, right? Expectation of, of Jesus' presence and, and what that does, what it means in the present, but also for him to, to come back. And if you're anything like me, man, when I was a little kid, did anybody have like rapture anxiety as a kid? Anybody? What, what, what was your best, wor- what, best? What was your worst rapture anxiety experience? Anybody? I want to leave my good shoes alone. You did? <laughs> you know, your new 13-year-old Joe was like, man, I can't leave my Jordans. Um, I remember having a sleepover with my cousin. Am I hot? Am I? I mean, not like that. Like, loud? <laughs> hey, it's only uphill from here. Um, I remember having a sleepover with my cousin. This is totally off topic. I was having a sleepover at my cousin's house, and I couldn't find him. It was like we were like staying up all night playing and stuff, and I think it was like two in the morning, and I couldn't find my cousin. And I'm like, I missed it. <laughs> I missed the rapture, right? And I don't know like where all that came from. So that's not what we're going for here. That kind of like. Uh, anxiety around this, but an expectation and like a hopeful expectation of Jesus in the present and Jesus coming to fully set things right in the future, right? And the very cool, amazing, wonderful thing is that we even get to take part in that, that process, right? We get to take part in that process of, of partnering with them to set things right. So, in our world today, what's going on? This is the, this just came to my mailbox. This is my bedtime reading. Um, the, this is the latest copy of The Economist magazine. It's, uh, the, the title is Playing with Fear. And, and so there's a, there's a picture of Donald Trump here and a couple of other international leaders. And so, this, this demonstrates kind of what's going on in our headlines today, right? And through this election process, or the pre-election process, there's a lot of uh, fear-based politics, right? And what it, think, think about the headlines that you've heard. Think about like the the um, think about the the lines or the talking points of different candidates. How much of that would you say? Just estimate. How much of that would you say is based somehow on fear? Ninety-five percent. Any anybody else? 
Any other takers? I feel like I'm on prices, right? If you aim too high, you lose. Um, no, I don't have a percentage. Yeah, I would say a, a lot of it, right, is pointing out it's some kind of fear-based statement to motivate people. And that's an interesting thing that happens um, with uh, election processes and with the rise of democracy. Sometimes we see fear actually increase in hatred and uh, in places like Kenya, as democracy and free, freer elections have emerged, you see also um, uh, tri tribalism and, uh, and kind of fear-based politics around different groups of people also increase, and violence towards other people increases as that happens, because politicians tend to play on these fears that we have. And so there's a lot of that instability going on in the world today. Um, and even in our, in our own lives, in our personal lives, we uh, also, it, it's easy to be motivated by and focused on fear and instability, right? Can anybody relate with that these days? And is any, I don't know if, if so we just got news recently that the Oscar Mayer plant's going to close. And that's, what is that, like 1,200 jobs, right, in, in the Madison area. So that's a, that's a big, that's a really big deal. And there's, that points to instability, right? And, and just like the unknowns. Um, so around employment, around the future, around uh, interest rates increasing. Anybody had an eye on that? Interest rates increasing? No, okay. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, the, on, on a more personal level too, though, we often... Many of us, if not all of us, experience or have experienced some kind of turmoil and instability. The most personal way that I can think of is right in our very own family. And specifically, what many of us, I'm sure, can relate with is instability with our parents. Um, more commonly than not, that's with, related to our father. Um, I grew up in a home where my parents were, my parents split up by the time I was about two. Anybody relate with that? How, how many people, if, if you don't feel comfortable raising your hand, no worries. How many people here come from a home where your parents uh, were divorced? Or in a, in a single parent home? Okay, and how many of you have an amazing single parent who like, sacrificed and, and raised you? I'm, I'm in that group. So, I personally, and I'm sure a lot of you can relate with this, experienced a lot of instability as a kid, but I didn't really realize that things were crazy. I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back, I'm like, man, that was kind of messed up, right? By the time that my mom's second marriage ended and my dad's third marriage ended, things were getting a little bit crazy. And um, I was just, I was on the phone with my, with my dad just last night, and so I'm sitting here, and I, I've got my uh, I've got my phone pulled up, and I'm going to call my dad. It's about 10 o'clock last night, and I was really kind of putting this off, and I don't know he might listen to this, so, and I talked this through with him. It's about 10 o'clock, and I'm like, do I do I, do I call him? Do I call him? And finally, after deliberating and going, I went and got a snack a couple of times. I go and get a drink, you know, like that's totally my. It's amazing, like how much food I can eat and how much cleaning I can get done when I'm procrastinating and putting something off. Um, and so finally, I'm like, okay, sin. 
And I, so I'm talking with my dad, and I, I wanted to ask him about some of the things that I experienced as a kid. And I also wanted to ask him for permission to speak with you about some of those things today. And anybody else who will hear this, uh, the recorded version of this. And he, well, I'll get, I'll get back to you on, on what he said. But one of, one of my most vivid experiences as a kid was uh, being, my, my brother and I being with my dad, and he uh, was kind of going through all this stuff, and he's giving us stuff, giving us like, my dad's, my dad's a, a big guy, he's like 6'4", and I'm like, I don't know how old I'm, I'm like 7 or 8 at the time, and he's giving us like shirts, and like his nice pants, and like stuff, I remember a Jimi Hendrix tape in there, and like some, some other, just, just kind of like random stuff, but personal, like important belongings too. And he's just, and he's just like loading us up with stuff. And he's kind of anxious and kind of running around. And he takes us and he drops us off at my, uh, my great grandmother's house. And, uh, and he's saying things like, I don't know if I'm going to see you boys again. I don't know if I'm going to see you again. I don't know what's going to happen from here. And so that, that's like, how, how do you think of that as a, as a seven-year-old? Um, and so he, he drops us. All I know is like, I've got, like, we've got this collection of like nice slacks and a Jimi Hendrix tape and some other stuff. And, um, and we don't know if we're going to see our dad again. And come to find out, that was one of two times that he attempted to commit suicide because of struggles with depression and uh, medicating with alcohol and just the circumstances that his life had sort of had kind of culminated in his life. And um, in an attempt to sort, of, to sort of turn away from a lot of the negative things that he resented in his father, he went to an opposite extreme, which tended more towards uh, sort of religious pressure and he kind of went to the opposite extreme and um, just recreated a whole generational mess. And so, um, and I remember, what I remember from that experience is not having this, like, this deep understanding of what was going on. But I rem- what I remember is a feeling of abandonment. And I'm guessing that some of you can relate with that. Yeah, and if you, maybe some of you can relate with it, but you don't realize that you can relate with it, and that the very person or the very people who are supposed to be consistently always there for you, they're not, and because of choices that they've made, potentially they're not able to. Maybe because of other outside influences, things out of their power, they're not able to. Even um, parent, parental figures that we have that have passed away. A lot of times what people come to realize is that there's a harbored resentment even toward a father or mother who's passed away because they left, right? They left when they, when they weren't supposed to. So this is a... There, there's things going on in our world today that are kind of crazy, but all of us on a, on a really personal level can relate with like instability and craziness, right? I will say, so when I was talking with my dad about this, and I'm like, hey, like, tell me what happened about this. This is the first time that, we've, that he and I have talked about this. 
Uh, my dad and I have a stronger relationship now than we ever have before. And I told him this last night. I have more respect for him than just about anybody else that I know because of the courage that he has shown to face those, the choices that he's made and um, make things right and, and move on in relationship. And that, to me, is courage. It's not just the absence of failure, but failure and moving on, right? Failure and reconciling. How many people can relate with that? That's courage, right? It's failure, reconciliation, moving on. Failure, reconciliation, moving on, making things right. And so I have this profound respect for my dad, and he said, and I, and I don't know all the stuff that, like, my dad's not one to, like, get up and say, like, oh, this is all the stuff that I'm doing. But it turns out my dad has given this, his testimony many times in front of many people in prison settings and other kind of ministry settings. And he said, if that, if my story helps anybody, tell it. Tell it. And... Um, Dad has, yeah, so we're, we're, we're close today. We're closer than we've ever been. Um, I think that there are still some challenges that he faces to, like, how much of a right he has to speak, you know, or to, like, receive love from, from his children, that kind of a thing. These are real challenges that he faces. And some of you, I'm sure, can, can relate with that, too, from some of the choices that you've made. Um, so these, these things really affect us, and they don't just affect you personally. They affect the people in our city. They affect um, the people in our nation. They also affect international uh, events. And if you'll throw up those first couple of photos that we talked about, some of you might recognize it. Anybody recognize this guy? Yep. Yeah? What? So this is Zacharias Musawi. He was one of the plotters and attackers on uh, uh, September 11th, right, 9-11. And so he, uh, I believe today is imprisoned in Colorado, like the highest security detention center that we have in the mainland. And um, so, man, look at him. What, what do you see on his face? What, what's some emotions you see? Anger, hopelessness, just nothing, Right? Anybody else? What are your feelings toward this person? Yeah? Is it like spark a response, a reaction out of you? Anybody connected with anyone who was killed during those events on 9-11? Anybody here in the room? So, all right, go to the next photo. So this is Zechariah Musawi. is about 16, 17-year-old. So this is what's important to know about this guy. Uh, this is from the cover of a book written by his brother. One time I was going through the university bookstore and I randomly come across this book called Zechariah's My Brother. Like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, it's less than two bucks. I'll buy it. <laughs> that's usually my process. And, uh, and uh, so his, his brother tells a story. And if you've been paying attention to the events that took place in Paris recently or over the past several years, this will make more sense to you. Um, they're Moroccan immigrants that grew up in a fatherless home in the suburb of Paris. And these are like highly segregated. Think of inner city U.S., highly segregated areas. But in, in France, those tend to be in, in suburb, suburban areas, okay? So you've got loads of, of immigrant people groups 
on kind of the peripheries of, of especially Paris. And that's where lots of rioting has taken place, uh, lots of frustration. And, uh, and so they were a part of uh, one of these families from a, from a um, Moroccan background, a fatherless home. And there's, uh, there's one point, he talks about their struggles growing up in France as non-white French people. And um, at, at one point as a teenager, Zacharias was dating a white French girl. And the father just completely cut it off. Said, no, my daughter is not going to date a Muslim immigrant. My daughter is only going to date a white French guy. Right? Some of you might have experienced that before. And so uh, this, this kind of experience has like, just continued to happen again and again. And so later, Zechariah goes to study in London. The, the story that his brother tells is that what he wanted more than anything was to make British friends. He wanted to be accepted. I mean, look, look, what, do you, what do you see on his face? Like, what are the emotions? What are the attitudes you see? Joy, just like softness, right? Just a kid, just a soft-hearted kid. And so he goes to study in England, and he tries to build friendships with, and I'm kind of oversimplifying the story, but this is the gist of it. He tries to build friendships with some British citizens and ends up being rejected. In the midst of that, in, in all, of this, all, all of this rejection, he is um, welcomed in by an extremist teacher and becomes militarized and trained. And later, we see him in the, in the first photo. So, and, and this is a... So when we talk about like the need for deep love and acceptance, this is this is not just some like gushy topic. Um, we're not gonna, you know, just focus on like how good we feel and how important that is to us. And I'm not gonna have you draw hearts in your journal and write God's name in the middle and stuff like that. If that's what you feel led to do. That's fine. Okay, it's not my gig. But the um, so. 10% of the 40,000 students at University of Wisconsin are international students. And they're just down the street from Actually, a lot of them live like just in this neighborhood here. And what's amazing is when, um, when, when you're a foreigner and you are accepted and you experience hospitality, especially if you're from a culture that tends to be more group-oriented, like we see many places in the Middle East and North Africa and Asia, and Africa and South America, basically everywhere but here. Um, when you influence one person, you tend to influence many more people beyond that, right? Especially if someone's studying here at a university, they tend to have an important role in the family. And influencing them tends to have effects far beyond like their own life. So imagine if you're in London, so however many years ago, and you see him on the street, and you strike up a conversation, you're like, hey, let's, let's go grab a coffee. Tell me about where you're from. Imagine how that could have, and I'm not trying to oversimplify things here, imagine how that could have changed the course of history. Just hospitality and love and generosity. Simple, simple acceptance. Simple stuff, right? So... All of this, uh, all right, so kind of diving back into our topic here. 
in the midst of, of all this instability and, and experiencing rejection and, and, and pain, these are things that, um, that the hearers of these words that Isaiah is saying would have, ex- would have known firsthand. And so I'm going to jump into some of these uh, statements that, that Isaiah makes, which looking back, we realize are spoken prophetically about Jesus. So within the context, I'll just briefly say things are crazy, all right? God's people are split into two kingdoms. You've got Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Israel will soon be going into uh, exile, captivity. Um, Isaiah's speaking from within Judah, and he will later be preparing Judah for captivity Imagine having to leave your place where you live and having to go be a servant or slave, an inferior person in another land. Like, that's a crazy change, right? And that's, so that's what, what people are experiencing because of the consequences of their choices, because of um, God disciplining them, using other nations. And so Isaiah is speaking words of warning, words of sort of last chances, words of discipline, but also words of hope. And so within this setting, within, um, within this context, Isaiah speaks these words that we see pointing toward Jesus. And he says, like Shannon referred to earlier, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. So imagine you're a hearer in Isaiah's day. And this has deep meaning to them. When we look at it now from centuries later, we see even more depth and more breadth to these words. Okay, You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. And so when, when he says this on the day of Midian, what that points to is, a, is an older story with Gideon in the Old Testament, where Gideon, who is initially um, afraid, and God's like, hey, mighty warrior. And he's like, hey, you got the wrong guy. It's not me. He's like, no, I'm talking to you. And so he assembles an army, right? And then um, through a series of events, God tells Gideon to sift his army down to 300 people. And so the chances are not good, right? And they go to battle. And in the day of Midian, this is a time when God routed the enemy without Gideon's army even fighting. They showed up. They made some noise, lit some stuff on fire, and God routed the enemy. That sounds awesome to me. How many of you want to be like, involved in something like that? Lighting stuff on fire, making loud noises, and then God does awesome stuff. So, and then we pat ourselves on the back. Like, hey, didn't we do a good job? Wasn't our strategy great? Um, As on the day of Midian, so that was God's victory, right? And that's kind of the theme here, even throughout Isaiah, is that if the Lord doesn't build the house, it's going to crumble. As on the day of Midian. All right. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government 
and of peace. There will be no end. Again, think about what Isaiah's listeners are hearing here. What are they anticipating? A king, right? A a Messiah king who's going to set things right. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Judgment on arrogance and oppression. So that sounds amazing, right? And so what just the, the gist of what Isaiah's hearers are hearing is like this kind of Messiah king, this founding figure who's going to set things right and found an enduring nation, right? And we read that and we realize God was not just wanting to establish the nation of Israel, but establish a people that's inclusive of all people, right? That invites, that's accessible to all people. That's not ethnic. It's not ethnic. It's family. Okay? So, looking at this, we, so we see the, kind of the, the founder imagery. We also see that God was giving us a, a fresh start with a, with a new Adam, right? And in the beginning, um, Adam was given, was like delegated authority and responsibility, and he gave it away. He gave it away, and where he was created within a family context, rejected the father, rejected authority, and said, we got this. We got this. We can do it on our own. And Jesus comes along, Paul says in Romans, as a new Adam who's saying, hey, I'm going to show you guys how to live as humans. Step one, love the father. Step two, everything else. (laughs) Start with step one. (laughs) And so Jesus comes and shows you, this is how you do Humanity. This is how you live. And at the core of that is Jesus' relationship with the Father. And so, hi, all right, so zooming in on this statement that Isaiah makes, this Messiah King is going to be everlasting Father. So we're going to talk about God's fatherhood. And there are a couple of types of people in the room, oh, more than that. But again, I said this before, I like to stereotype people because it's helpful. Um, the... <laughs> As long as you're aware that you're stereotyping people, it's helpful. Um, some people, there are some people in this room who need healing and ministry because of the wounds that you bear, because of rejection, because of abandonment, related to your father, related to your family, because of the abuse, the protection was not there that should have been. You know, we could go on and on. And that is very, very real. Some of you have learned to live with it, and it's like a... Um, What's it called when you can't feel your limbs? Numb, Numb, but there's a condition. Leprosy. That's the word I'm going for. (laughs) Leprosy and numb and all that other stuff. It's like, so we we learn to live with that and it becomes a type of leprosy. And the problem with leprosy is that you might cut your toe, you might get an infection and you don't know, right? Because you can't feel it. And that's kind of the state that a lot of us live in as Christians, is that we've sort of like shut this off. We're like, nope, not going there, I'm fine. And we've got this idea of what it means to be masculine, and that's not in the picture. Crying, talking about how I feel rejected is not in the picture. But in reality, that's what it means to be human. Because we're not designed to be abandoned. We're not designed to be wounded and abused. Okay, We're designed to be protected. 
So there, there are some in this room who need that, need that healing and others who, who might hear this later who need healing. And there's another type of person, maybe somebody who's, like, who's been doing the Christian gig for a while and they're like, oh, this thing, uh, Father, God, that was like junior high youth group. Like we've moved on from there. Or you've, you've matured so much that you've forgotten the foundations, right? And so this is what I want to point out to you. There's a difference between something being elementary and something being foundational. We might look at it and say, well, that's elementary. In other words, I'm beyond that. I'm in, I'm advan- I'm in advanced. I've mastered theology, right? But this is foundational. And when we build on a bad foundation, when we move on years, in, in, years on in our, in our walk in, in Christianity, we find that everything that we've built crumbles unless it's on this foundation, Right? And it's not just like a cognitive understanding thing. It's about an experiential, real-life, loving relationship and acceptance that we, that we feel, right? That we walk in. And it's not a one-time thing, but it's something that we come back to continually. This week, man, I found myself like, wow, I'm, I'm looking at this text and I'm preparing and I'm like, God, where am I at? Where is my heart at? And I was having a conversation with a friend last night and he's, he's going through Advent preparation and, and reflection. And he's like, yeah, I was just, I was just uh, journaling and, and praying today, asking God, how can I be a good son to you? And this is a guy who's like a, a respected teacher and travels the world teaching people. And, and, and he's asking this question, how can I be a good son? We don't move on from this, okay? And actually, I'll tell you too, like, we had a, a really good time praying for this morning, praying for you guys together. And so uh, I was super appreciative of that and enjoyed it. All right, so, so looking to this King Jesus, how, first of all, how is Jesus spoken of as a father? How, how is Jesus called everlasting father? And what, so Isaiah's hearers are, are thinking of sort of a father figure. And actually, we have some images, some other images here. Okay, so... So this is kind of the, the, the father figure of some places, right? So this is Nelson Mandela. It's not Morgan Freeman, okay? <laughs> that's, the real, the, that's the real thing. Um, Nelson Mandela is, the founding, is seen as a founding father of South Africa today, right? Um, okay, what's, what's the next one there? Here's another like, twisted image of father. Um, this is, this is Kim Il-sung, right? And uh, he's, sort of, he's the third generation sort of fatherly figure of North Korea. I uh, was watching a video last night of, of people receiving um, eye surgery, people who'd been blind and they're being operated on. It's this undercover video from uh, National Geographic. And uh, people being operated on and their eyes are, are healed and they take the bandages off and the first thing that they see is a picture of these father figures on the wall. And they go and start to worship and weep. And they're like, oh, thank you. I will work harder in the salt mines to bring you more money. I'm so thankful. And they're weeping, weeping, worshiping these people. This is like, this is something that's like written within us, right? To like need some kind of like father figure. And this is such a twisted 
uh, picture of that today in North Korea. North Korea is actually, um, I think it's more accurate to see it as a cult than uh, a tyranny. Let's see, what, what's the next? Okay, here's, so I'll just zoom through a couple of other pictures. Some of you may have seen this picture in the news. Uh, this is a, a Syrian father reaching the island of Kos, the Greek island of Kos, and just like celebrating and enduring and suffering through that voyage and finally being at a safe haven with his children. Imagine the experiences. Imagine what's going on in his heart toward them. Um, is there another one? These, these videos, I sit and watch these videos. I don't know if Emma watches this. I, and I like, I, I'm like fighting back tears. Has anybody watched like soldier coming home videos? Man, they just tear me up. And it, like, I love it. Like the dad comes out and the kid runs across the basketball court and hugs because she doesn't know that her dad's coming home or their mom's coming home. It's just amazing. So anyway. All right, so... All right, so Isaiah's hearers, they're thinking about this, this father figure, but what they're not seeing that we see today is that Jesus was not, is not only a father figure, but points us to the father, right? So I want to look through some texts, some statements that Jesus made um, from John 14 through 16. So Jesus points us to the father, and we see that this was really like, the culmination of his work with us, Jesus came not just to take you to heaven someday, okay? Just make an assertion here up front. Jesus came not just to take you to heaven someday, but to restore your identity as a son and daughter. And it turns out from Paul's writing in Romans that all of creation groans waiting for what? Waiting for the revealing, the uncovering, the emergence of Sons and daughters, this week, uh, uh, these international talks have been going on in Paris, right? Addressing climate change and issues related to creation. And Paul addresses that, and, it's, and, he, and he talks about it in the context of your identity as a son and daughter. Crazy. It's crazy. All right, so what, what does Jesus say? All right, so I'm just going to like blast through some statements from John chapters 14 through 16. All right, no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you've seen him. That's pretty straightforward, right? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father because I'm like the Father. All right, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Again, pretty straightforward. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The Father who dwells in me does his works. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So, so Jesus is, is saying, like, I represent the Father so well that if you see me, you've seen him. And then he says, um, and Jesus is like so full of humility, and this is amazing when you, when you reflect on the Trinity, Think about Jesus' relationship with the Father and the Father's relationship with Jesus and the Spirit with both of them. There's such humility and like pointing toward one another. And Jesus even like points to the Spirit. The Spirit's going to come. You're going to love Him, guys. You guys are going to love the Spirit. It's amazing. Jesus is saying He wants the Father to be lifted up and glorified. All right, next. In that day you will know that I am in the Father and you and me and I and you. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. 
Again, we will come to Him together. I'm going to bring you to the Father, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. I don't say anything except what He gives me to say. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. That's pretty amazing, right? Jesus is saying, whatever I do, I do to show you that I love the Father. Wouldn't you love to be able to say that about yourself? Whatever I do, I want you to know I love the Father. That's why I do what I do. That's why I make the choice that I make. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. So this love that Jesus has toward us originates from the Father's love for you, right? Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So Jesus is again saying, like, I'm the model here. Follow my example. Follow me. You see, guys, there's a, there's a problem when we, just throw this in here, there's a problem when we see Jesus as some sort of a superhero rather than fully human. Because if we just see him as some kind of like Superman, super Jesus, then we look at him and what's our response? That's great for you, Jesus, but it's not for me because, hey, I'm not you. And what does Jesus say? Follow me. Follow me. Do what I do. And he's saying, I'm demonstrating to you what it looks like to relate with the Father. So do what I do. He takes your hand and he says, okay, do what I do. Follow me. This is how we love the Father. This is how we relate with him. All right. All that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. Whoever hates me hates my Father also. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from where? The Spirit of Truth that dwells in you, that's from where? Everybody, let's just say that together. Say, the Spirit dwells in me is from the Father. Okay, some good Trinitarian theology here. All right, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. There's a lot of giving and taking and redistributing and generosity going on here. All right. Let's see. Did I already read this? In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. That's the last one, right? No. Okay, we got more. Blessed be the God. Oh, okay, we'll stop right there for now. All right, so I was talking with my kids on the way here. I'm like, okay, have you guys ever, um, so we were talking about what Jesus is saying here in that last, we go back to that last John verse. This is really interesting. In that day, you will ask. Who will ask? I will say, I will ask. I will ask. And Jesus says, I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me, and I believe that I came from God. So I was talking about this verse on the way here with my kids. I'm like, have you guys ever like, been talking to somebody, and you want to ask a big person about something? And they're like, no, you ask. No, you ask. No, you ask. And they're like, yeah, we have done that before. And it's like, well, when, like, why do you do that? Why would you do that? And everybody's kind of quiet, but Dorian, our four-year-old, is the one who speaks up. She's like, because you're shy. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, that's right, that's right. You might not want to ask somebody something, a, a bigger person something, because you're shy, and what else? And she goes, because you're scared. I'm like, all right, that's, that's right. And so we talked through some, some other reasons, like why wouldn't you want to ask someone in authority about something? What, any other thoughts? 
Why, why don't you want to ask somebody in authority for, especially when you're asking for something? You don't think you're worth it, right? You don't think you measure up? Yeah, you'll be, you'll be disappointed. Maybe you're, you're aiming too high. You're like, no, I, I can't ask that. I can't ask that. Anybody else? They all say no, right? It's just like automatic, be rejected. So these are some of the reasons, right, that, we're, that we hesitate. And these same things apply to us with God. But Jesus says something really fascinating to me here. And he's saying, I will not ask. He's standing here like, not going to do it. But who has to ask? You do. You do, right? We do. He's putting us in a position. He's like, he's behind you saying like, no, you, you go. You go. You go to the Father. You go to the Father. You ask. I'm not going to ask for you. And we're like, but Jesus, Jesus, no, no, no. I want to stay. I like this Jesus thing. We know you better. And Jesus is like, nope. I'm going to take you to the Father. And you're going to ask. I'm not going to ask for you. So this to me kind of describes like kind of this. And there's more, there's more to this. But this is sort of the essence of Jesus' purpose for us. He came to restore us to the Father. He came to restore us to the Father and to reclaim our identity as sons and daughters that He intended from the beginning, right? For Adam and Eve as they lived in this family relationship with God. And Jesus is saying, no, we're going we're gonna to redo. I'm going to show you how to do it and then you follow me. And by the way, I'm going to put my spirit, I'm going I'm to send you the helper from the Father. And what is this spirit like? What is the Spirit like? Romans 8, 14 through 16. I'm going to pull this up on my phone. I'm not checking Facebook. <laughs> Dude. Hey, we give him a raise. All right. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. If you are led by the Spirit, you're the main identifiable character trait about you and about your nature and who you are is that you are sons and daughters. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of what? Adoption. That's what this spirit is like. And a lot of times we're like, read it out by the spirit. We're like, no, 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 no. Keep that Holy Spirit stuff. Too crazy for us. I don't like that barking stuff. Or whatever it goes on. Um, but Jesus is like, no, this spirit is a spirit of adoption of sons by whom, see, you can't do this unless it's by the spirit, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Is there more to that? Okay, no, that's, that's, that's good. All right. So, so Jesus gives us the Spirit, and the thing about the Spirit is that it's only by the Spirit, and like the primary work of the Spirit in our hearts to help us cry out, Daddy, Papa. That's the, the, the work of the Spirit. That's like the, the, the main identifying trait that Paul points out about the Spirit here, is that the Spirit works within us to cry out, Abba, Father. 
All right, I'm going to. What time? The Packers don't play today, do they? They they have the later game. Oh, we're good. At five? Okay. Okay. You guys, I the challenge for us is for this not to be some intellectual exercise or something that you mentally, cognitively assent to. Okay, it's not about agreement. If you agree with this, that's fine. It's not about agreement. It's about what you do with it. It's about how you apply and you walk in and accept the love of a father for you. A father who's ever-present. A father who, who invites you, doesn't force you to accept him and to accept his leadership. This can't just be just something that, that we like chalk up to junior high youth group and move on from. Nor can it be something that we kind of pass over because it hurts too bad. I want to I put a challenge out there to everybody who's here today to have a conversation with someone. Have a conversation with someone about what you think God thinks about you. Okay? Let's just make it super personal. What do you think God the Father thinks about you? Do you think that He's disappointed in you? Do you think that He accepts you? Do you think that He rejects you? Do you think He even pays attention to you? So I want to challenge every person in this room to have a conversation with someone. That's not a very... um, You don't have to have like this whole depth of knowledge to have that kind of conversation, right? What What does my Father, capital F, think about me? And oftentimes, and if you can't answer that question, something you can do is look at the way that you live. And often that will show you what you really think. If you live in the garbage, figuratively or literally, you, that, that might point toward a perspective that you have that I am worthless. I'm not valuable enough to not make stupid choices. Something I was talking with my dad about he said, you know, what was stuck in my head and the, like the, the, the funk that I got into, he didn't use the word funk, <laughs> but the, the rut he got into was that he just thought we would be better off without him. And I know people close to me who've made some really bad choices, damaging their families, potentially destroying marriages, because they thought, they'll be better off without me, right? And Dad said, that was just the epitome of me being focused on myself. And it wasn't until he got hold of his value and his, his significance and God's love toward him that he could then turn around and be a loving father toward me, right? I remember calling him up one day a few years ago. I'm like, Dad, all right. Here's the thing, I need you to do the dad thing. Okay? Just call out of the blue. I need you to talk with me like a dad. Like, give me some advice. And he's like, oh, okay, all right. All right. And he starts like rattling off all this great advice to me and telling me about life and all this stuff. But 
I, I had to reach out to him and say, hey, Dad, I want you to do that. Like, I give you the right to do that in my life. Right? And I need that. Even as, a, as a, I just turned 34. <laughs> I need that. I need a father in my life. Right? And the thing is, too, that like my, I relate to my kids from what I have within me. And if I'm empty... If I'm rejected and if I'm garbage, that's, my rela- that's how I relate to them, right? That's how I relate to them. All right, so I want to point out, where are we at here? I want to point out just a few things here about the way that, that Jesus demonstrates the Father's character and his love toward us and the way that he leads us, okay? So this Messiah King that... that Isaiah's people were hearing about um, has come. We're just saying about Emmanuel, God with us. So this, this, this Messiah King has come and, and, and been in our midst and is still with us. And the way that he leads and everything that he does points us to the Father and demonstrates who he is to us. And he says, I've shown you the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father because of the way that I've acted towards you. So, a few things here I want to highlight, okay? Let's just go down a list. Jesus demonstrates the Father's character because He leads through invitation. He leads through invitation. He doesn't force you to accept Him, to accept His authority. And we read this story in Luke chapter 15 that we call the prodigal son, that maybe a better title for that is the patient father. The father's waiting and waiting and waiting. He doesn't go out and... He lets him go, right? He just lets him go. And some of you can relate with that, right? Being let go and walking through the muck in the wilderness and God's like waiting for you, waiting for you. And He's with you every step of the way. And uh, so Jesus leads by invitation. And this is, these are things that we can take note of as parents too. Jesus leads by invitation. He doesn't force His agenda onto us. His uh, fatherhood toward us is unconditional. So we have this, uh, this everlasting father. And Jesus demonstrates it through this unconditional fatherhood and shows us the love of the father that's unconditional. It's not based on your performance. It's not based on your track record. God will father you no matter what, no matter where you are, no matter what you've been through. And again, that sounds really basic. It's because it's the most important thing you will hear today. He will father you no matter what, from anywhere. He is ever-present. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He, will, he makes a statement, I will not leave you as orphans. I won't forsake you. You guys, some of us, bless you, some of us live our lives as orphans. We live our lives as orphans without access to the Father. Without, without access to this primary source of love that will transform and like drive our, our lives, we live as orphans. We live as orphans. He's ever-present. He will not go away. Some of you have experienced death in your family that leaves you a little bit apprehensive about authority and love. Jesus has overcome death. 
All right, and a final thing I want to say is that Jesus delegates authority. He makes this statement in, you guys know the Great Commission in, in Matthew 28? Go into, or as you're going into all the world, make disciples, right? But right before that, he says, all authority has been given to me, therefore go. Kind of like, all authority is mine, and I'm, I'm going to give you some. And so this authority in, the, in dominion that Adam gave away in the beginning, Jesus has reclaimed through his work, and he's overcome the work of, of sin and death. And he, like, so Adam gave the keys away. Jesus has reclaimed them, and then he hands them back to you. He says, all right, we're going to do this thing. And Isaiah talks about his kingdom that's, that's growing. His peace is increasing. So when you see this stuff in the world, guys, this cannot motivate us. This cannot drive us. Circumstances will emerge and maybe will culminate even more and more that lead you, that make you have to choose. Are you an American or are you a Christian? And it won't be asked that way because they'll be packaged together. But we have to have in our minds, we are sons and daughters first. And that informs our decisions. We're sons and daughters. That that informs our politics. That informs the way that we use our money. Not fear. Not fear. Because Jesus is delegating authority to you and saying, now go. Go. I'm calling you. I'm calling you to go. He called a bunch of teenagers to go and and sent them out in his name and gave them authority over spirits and all illnesses and all kinds of stuff. And he does the same with you in your workplace, in your family, in your sphere of influence. All right, so wrapping up here, we're in Advent, right? We're not just looking back at baby Jesus, okay? We're not only looking ahead toward a future time when Jesus will come, although that is certainly, like we long for that day if we've got our heads on straight. But we're also looking right now, right here, Jesus with us, and Jesus with us is pointing us to the Father, right? He's saying, hey guys, come on. You're going to ask. You're going to ask. So I want to challenge you guys to let expectations stir in your hearts where you've given up hope for your life, where you've given up hope for your family, where you are stuck in addiction, where you have so harmed people in your life that you feel like you cannot go about making, people, making things right, where you are harboring bitterness and resentment toward people who have hurt you, I want to challenge you to let the spirit of adoption that says, hey, you're a son, hey, you're a daughter, let the spirit stir expectation for what God wants to do in your life during this season. Jesus in our midst, the spirit within us. I want to challenge you guys to have conversation with one another about what the fa- how the Father sees you and then ask some more questions. Now, what does that mean? So what are you going to do about it? And how can I walk with you in that? Okay? Can you guys agree to, and this is an invitation, it's not forceful, okay? but will you agree to have those kind of conversations with each other? That's kind of awkward. Like, what, we got to get real? Let's do that. I want to challenge you guys towards that. All right, some people in this room need healing. You need to know the love of a father. I want to challenge you to run after it. Run after it. Push each other towards it. Some of you need to hear him say, hey, I'm calling you. I'm giving you the keys. Walk with me, all right? 
my peace is increasing. Are you with me? Are you going to be with Jesus to increase his peace, his kingdom? Show the love of the Father to your coworkers, to your students, to your clients, whatever it might be. Let's pray and hear what he wants to say to us. I'll invite musicians to come back up. All right. Father, thank you. Thank you for your everlasting love toward us. Thank you, Jesus, for doing the work to justify us and make us righteous, bringing us back to you, bringing us back to the Father. Thank you for purifying us so that your spirit could live within us, the spirit of adoption that cries out, Abba, Father. Lord, if we have never cried out to you before, if we've never experienced the love of you, Father, would you do that in our lives over this, uh, this season? Jesus, <laughs> you came to restore us to the Father and you demonstrate the Father to us. I pray for my brothers and sisters here, God, where we need healing, that you will begin that work in our lives. For those of us, Lord, who need to hear you say, follow me, increase my peace, walk with me, implement my victory, demonstrate my love toward the people around you, Lord, let us hear you call us today to join you and to partake in your mission. This is such a privilege, Lord, to walk with you. It's such a privilege to be yours. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Spirit.